Time for some more crackleism. To get us started, Nate, pop quiz, hotshot. You're the shitbag CEO of Megacorp and you stand to make a billion dollars, but it might mean skirting a few laws that the SEC or DOJ might come back later to hit you with on maybe a million dollar fine. Do you take that risk? Absolutely. That's just the cost of doing business. Here at Megacorp, we build our government fines into our pricing and risk models. We pretty much assume that we'll be fined for a portion of everything we do, but here's our dirty little secret I'll let you in on. We don't fucking care because we make so much more money than that. Well said, shitbag CEO. Well said. (laughs) So when I wrote that, I was just kind of joking with the companies building that into their business models. And as we'll get into later, I found out that they most certainly do build that into their business models. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that was something that came out in an investigation. I think it was Elizabeth Warren that found that, that there was... (laughs) There was a legal defense portion of their budget that's built out that's kind of shoved into other stuff. And then there is a corporate fine portion that's thrown in there, too, that's built into that legal defense budget. But yeah, the topic for today is corporate fines and how they've become just the cost of doing business. And to kick that off, let's just jump into a few examples of where this has happened and how much they've gotten fined and what they were fined for. So we'll kick this off with GlaxoSmithKline, who is a place that I had never, ever heard of before, but apparently they're a pharmaceutical company. Yeah, my dad's a pharmacist, or well, used to be a pharmacist. And uh, the only reason I know that name is because anytime I visit, he keeps a bunch of his like pharmacist magazines by the toilet. <laughs> so... But I'll just be like, oh, huh, apparently, you know, GlaxoSmithKline is coming out with some new kind of new drug or something like that. Yeah, that's interesting reading material there. Yeah, well, well, Butrin was their big thing, I think. And I vaguely remember both of these drug names. So it was Paxil and Wellbutrin. They ring a bell. I don't remember exactly what they were for, but it looked like they were antidepressants after reading further into it. Yeah, it was like... The equivalent of someone going, are are you just like bummed out? (laughs) You know, if you just felt meh, your doctor would be like, oh, that's well butrin. Do you have feelings and they're not always positive? Well, guess what? We can take care of that. I see you have it here too. Paxil was another one. Yeah. Yeah. They got in a little bit of trouble about that. Yeah. So it was both of these that they got in trouble for. They were accused of mislabeling or misbranding these drugs and hiding safety information from the FDA. Is that bad? Well, apparently not. I mean, apparently it's wrong, but it's not necessarily bad because they're still around. You would think that hiding information from the Food and Drug Administration about your drugs that you're selling to people would really hit you hard, but not so much. What they were found guilty of was falsifying prices in order to reduce payments to Medicaid so that they could overcharge other public health entities. So, I mean, that's already right there, (laughs) (laughs) screwing over taxpayers, so that's cool. Cool, cool. They also sold the popular antidepressant Paxil, so that's where that came from, to adolescents while hiding information about the drug's lack of efficacy in children. Yeah, basically selling drugs to kids that don't need it. And Wellbutrin, which was approved only as an antidepressant, was being sold as a remedy for a host of other health issues, including weight loss and sexual dysfunction. Huh. Yeah. I mean, interesting. 
who doesn't want to take drugs that they don't need? Well, I mean, there's a lot of people that take drugs that they don't need, but well, yeah, he don't want to pay Glaxo Smith Klein for them. Nobody's going to be like recreationally taking antidepressants. I assume maybe not. <laughs> well, I mean, people recreationally take Adderall. That's true. That got me through 95% of grad school. Actually, I watched a documentary on it and I wish I could remember the name. For as much as I read my dad's pharmacy magazines, it apparently did not give me a good base of knowledge in pharmacological concepts. And I ended up finding out that Adderall was basically low-dose methamphetamine. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, and what's super cool, at the volume at which I consumed it, it doesn't matter if it's low-dose or high-dose. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's grad school, so it's like none of your teachers seem to talk to each other. So each of them is like, well, it's getting towards the end of the semester. I guess you're going to have to write like a 28-page term paper. And it's like, oh, okay, so I have five of those due. And then on top of it, we also had to like work in the clinic. Every patient's trying to like wrap shit up before everybody goes on break. At the time, I was also working full time because I'm like, I couldn't afford to be in that much debt. And so I was taking Adderall. And I mean, like, sorry, dad, if you hear this. <laughs> and also, sorry, I guess to the, janitors maybe of where I worked at one point I was like at where I worked like I was like it takes too much time to walk back to my apartment and I got to maximize the amount of time I have on these papers so I was railing lines <laughs> of Adderall on my work desk and just like cranking out these term papers which were like when I read them on Adderall I'm like oh my god I might actually be a genius. And then I'd read them like, as I was coming down, I'd be like, this is incoherent. <laughs> this is like what Charlie Manson would write <laughs> about, you know, speech disorders or something like that. But that's not even that uncommon of a story anymore. <laughs> oh, no. Well, and that's the crazy thing is when you do, well, at least when I did Adderall, it makes me want to smoke cigarettes. And so I would be basically like I'd pop downstairs and I'd be like tweaking out and then I'd just like make eye contact with an, a software developer <laughs> or like a computer science major that was like across the way who was also tweaking out smoking a cigarette. And the, really the only difference was I walked upstairs and they walked downstairs after we were <laughs> done with our cigarettes. It's like, oh buddy, down yeah. to the basement for you. Yeah, that's where they keep them. But yeah, so GSK. GlaxoSmithKline. Yeah. Glaxo sounds like a space villain. It really does. And I create this mental image in my head of who this company is. And I can't not picture Darth Vader as like the CEO <laughs> of this company. Galactus Smith Klein. <laughs> yeah. They were fined $3 billion. As part of this, I went to look up the net income for these companies during these years. So we're talking after expenses. This is what they were making. And so I took that fine and said, okay, of that year, how much of an impact would that be? And it was about a third of their net income for that year. Going back and looking at their year over year, you really wouldn't be able to pick out which year they were fined, which is kind of depressing. I can tell you which year they weren't fined, 2015. Yeah, when they pulled in over $12 billion in net income. That's what's curious because it's like, 
2015 is 12 billion and then 2016 is 1 billion and i'm curious what happened there <laughs> they just like front loaded a bunch of stuff so i have a question because i'm ignorant to the process all right walk me through this i am shitlord company i get fined by we'll say the sec or somebody like that where does that money go where does this three billion go? Do they recoup people who've been damaged? Like, is it like a class action lawsuit? It all depends on who was impacted by it and what the fine is for. And we can cover this more in some of the other cases because they're all okay. slightly different. So some of it will go back to, I mean, some of it basically just goes back to the treasury as money from the fine. So that's a part of it. That's the penalty portion of it. Some of it typically goes to, paying whoever was impacted by it and this is the same treasury that we use to bail these companies out every four or five years well yes and it gets even more interesting okay well okay. when i say interesting i mean way more depressing and we'll get there too let's just go ahead and jump into another one that everyone's familiar with because pretty much everyone was impacted by this equifax so equifax as I'm sure most people are aware, lost pretty much everyone's information. Being a credit reporting group, they had all kinds of financial information on you, all kinds of credit history on you, and basically had all the information you would ever need to steal someone's identity. And I know this for a fact because mine was stolen right after the Equifax breach. I'm almost insulted. I don't think mine was, or if who, whoever stole mine is doing a really good job at laying low. Yeah, and that brings up a question for credit thieves because every time that my credit card number has been stolen, the charges are always the same. It'll be like $5, $10, $10,000, right after each other. Like, oh yeah, the card works. Oh, let's try a little higher one. Okay, yeah, that works. Okay, let's just... Let's test the credit limit. Yeah. And so it'll just be these ballooning payments until one of them fails. And then it's like, okay, yeah, your credit was stolen. You ordered the shit online. There's no way you got it before the charges were canceled. But it's just me thinking how criminals are doing stupid stuff. Hmm. If you were to just go and throw a couple dollars on the credit card every month, I may not ever know. <laughs> Actually, I have a conspiracy theory about Equifax. So one right around the time Equifax was happening was like right as I was working for people who would have had similar issues with like an exposed S3 bucket. And <laughs> I think what's interesting is that Equifax actually made money on the crisis that they caused. And my conspiracy theory is, is that this was actually just viral marketing for their identity protection product. As a result of the data breach, they were fined $575 million. And this goes back to your question about how that's paid out. Something like 300 of that was to pay out to customers. By customer, I mean that in the loosest of senses, because you don't get a choice. You are a customer, whether you want to be or not. I remember something being fucked up about it where it was like they set a static pool. So the more people who actually submitted claims, the less money you got. And it ended up getting to the point where like everybody was basically getting like 35 cents or like, 
you know, Costa's stamp or something like that. Yeah. So it was set up in a way that you got the option for being pulled into this. And the option was something like a $125 check or a year of identity theft monitoring. (laughs) See, this is what I'm talking about. (laughs) One at face value. Why the hell would I ever want the company that just lost my information to be my identity theft monitor? Like, I'm not going to trust anything that they're pitching on that. Although I think that you were allowed to pick something else and they would pay for it. But I imagine they're heavily pushing their own in that scenario. Well, I think the way it was set up, too, is that when you began using the product, it was like, oh, it's free for a year. Just give us your credit card now, though. So that way you'll be charged and you know, so you let it go over and then it's like, Oh God damn it. I'm paying 20 bucks a month for this now. It's been like five months and (laughs) you're just like, what is this charge that keeps appearing? The end result of that. Well, I shouldn't say the end result because I don't think that anything's ever been finalized. They were overwhelmed by the number of people claiming the $125 checks something like a hundred million people were impacted by this data breach. And all of a sudden it was like, we didn't expect this many people to claim the checks. It's like, you know how many people were impacted. (laughs) How do you come up with a a number that is nowhere even near covering those costs? (laughs) The punishment didn't even make sense for the number of people impact. A hundred million people with a $300 million pool leaves $3 per person for having your identity stolen. Are bad. It's not like you can say, oh no, don't send my information to Equifax. You can send it to TransUnion and Experian. That's fine. Yeah. But not Equifax. Instead, it's just like, not only do they get my information for free, basically, I mean, they pay somebody, I assume. Is there just like no oversight or anything like that? Like, they probably just could have kept all this shit in shoeboxes and still like ticked all the boxes as far as like, protection of data type stuff. That's an even bigger thing was you get no say into it. And then what then you're basically stuck and they leak it and there's nothing you can do. You can't say, don't put this in there. But what they do is they turn around and they sell all that information for marketing. So if you have a good credit rating, guess who's going to buy all your stuff? Anyone that sends out credit cards or, or auto loans. And it's a fucked up thing that uh, companies that I have been affiliated with what they'll do if they're large enough and they offer consumer products they'll buy pretty much like everybody's credit information and they'll run that against whether you exist in their customer database and if you don't that's how you get those mailers you have no way to like opt out of that they'll use that pool for a bunch of stuff that's really fucking shady 575 million was the punishment which does turn out to be about 200% of their net income for the year prior to that. It's about 100% of two years before they got fined. God. Yeah, it didn't really set them back, and I'm sure that they learned absolutely nothing. It resulted from the Apache Struts bug. So yeah. some piece of software that they were using for their web interface it had a bug. Wasn't it like a server in Brazil or something? It was like something weird where they like got on a server in Brazil and were able to just like kind of worm their way through the network. I feel like though I confuse um, Capital One. They had that contractor. That was the exposed S3 bucket. Yeah, I got hit by that one too. What the fuck, Jerry? (laughs) (laughs) That one didn't turn out to be a problem because 
everything was already locked down from the Equifax breach. So <laughs> pretty much about a month into me working for that credit company, I set all my accounts default to like I have to turn them on yeah. to allow Yeah, they're all frozen. Everybody should be frozen. Yeah, but that's the thing. When it's breached, you can go in and you can set a fraud alert. And so the fraud alert is free for one year. And it basically just slaps a phone number on there that says, okay, I've been a victim of identity theft. You must call me to confirm any kind of credit requests, which seems like that should be the default anyway, that you're running a credit check on somebody. Just call me, make sure that it's actually me that is requesting it. Because it is so incredibly easy to go out and act as somebody else, especially with the internet now. But you get that free for a year. You can get it free for seven years if you throw in a police report. And then you can also freeze your account, which is what you're saying, which says that I have to go actually unlock it before anyone can take out credit in my name. But what it turns out is all that information that they use to verify that it's you is in your credit report. <laughs> so if somebody gets access to your account, they can look at your history and basically just unset everything that you put in place. It is a super stupid system. And when they call in to say, okay, I want to remove this fraud protection or whatever, they don't even call the number on the fraud protection to verify that the person requesting it is the person asking for it to be removed. Jesus Christ. So you can bypass the fraud protection to remove the fraud protection, which seems stupid. But yeah, so they got hit with that fine, which set them back. It looks like maybe a year. Not even really, because if you so 2019 is negative 400. 2020 is 520. Yeah, which is basically the second highest year in a decade. Yeah, these fucking schmucks. Clearly, it didn't matter. <laughs> and to your point, it actually looks like it helped them because they were making more money then than they had two years prior to the breach. I'm telling you, I have zero evidence to support this, but it is, I mean, think about it. It's the perfect viral marketing <laughs> if you false flag it. Yeah. Because now everybody's using their privacy protection stuff. Can you imagine being in like a marketing meeting? And they're like, nobody knows who Equifax is. Like all the you know financial firms know who Equifax is, but the average person doesn't know who Equifax is, really. And so they're like, how do we advertise to literally everyone? You know, because it's like, who are we trying to sell this to? It's literally everybody. So it's like, will you buy a Super Bowl commercial or something? And so <laughs> some interns probably like what if we just sell this all of our information to the Russians, call it a breach, and then we were going to do a free trial period anyway, so we have that built into like our cost model. So what if we make it seem like we're doing everybody a favor? That's terrifying to think about, and I'm not entirely sure it's not true. For the record, I'm stating that I have no interest in harming myself, so if I end up dead, I was definitely murdered by Equifax. <laughs> well, moving on to something a little more lighthearted. BNP Paribas. They were found guilty of violating U.S. sanctions against Sudan, Iran, and Cuba in oh. 2015. <laughs> or I guess that was when they were fined. So treason? 
The sentencing followed BNP Paribas's guilty plea in July to conspiring from 2004 to 2012 to violate the International Emergency Economic Powers Act and the Trading with the Enemy Act. So yes. That sounds like a really powerful act. Yeah. If your act is Trading with the Enemy Act, <laughs> that swings a pretty big dick. Yeah, well, this one was <laughs> interesting. So they got hit with an $8.9 billion fine, which was about even with their net income for for one year and keep in mind that this was over what was that eight years that they were doing this so who knows how much money they made off of this right but they said that bmp essentially functioned as the central bank for the government of sudan concealing its tracks and failing to cooperate when first contacted by law enforcement this whole story was just crazy just to see the profits that they had leading up to that, you can see that it just, they had a $12 billion year prior to getting busted. And then in 2014, they barely squeaked by with a net income of $209 million followed by 2015, where they were back up to $7 billion. So it was like a blip for a year (laughs) for them. Would you do this? So scenario, there's a stretch of road that is completely clear on the way to your house, like from work to your house type of thing. So you you don't have to worry about like kids playing on it or anything like that. And it's like an unnatural speed limit. Like, you know, you go from like 45 down to like 20. There's no school, no nothing. It's 20 for effectively no reason. So this everything's posted as 20. And you know that there's a cop there every day. And, or not even a cop, a camera. The one that like mails you the tickets. Yeah. And let's say tickets were $10 and you could get an infinite amount. There's no like points on the license or anything like that. Would you speed through that every day? Well, I mean, it depends if just you speaking to you morally. No. Okay. This is why I feel like we're not going to be $12 billion successful at business. (laughs) (laughs) The other side of it though is. It's not just that you're speeding through and getting this $10 ticket every time you go through there. It's that you're speeding through and the $10 ticket is just mailed to the U.S. taxpayers. So you personally aren't even affected. You just accrued some ticket for somebody else. So then in that case, let's say there's some database where your license plate is mismatched to some random stranger. Well, that makes you an even shittier person. (laughs) Would you do that? No, <laughs> that made it worse because <laughs> now you're not just screwing over yourself. One scenario is that like, let's say you get to work 10 minutes faster and in that 10 minutes you would have made $100. Then financially speaking, you come out ahead $90 by speeding through there. Yeah. In the other scenario, you come out ahead $100 <laughs> and some other poor schmuck gets fined. You make a lot more money by screwing somebody else over which is more of this scenario. (laughs) Would you mass apply that though to regardless of who it is? Like what if it was Jeff Bezos? Like what if for some reason your license plate is affiliated with Jeff Bezos (laughs) and you're just like, I would probably just make it my entire day. I would say then you probably would just sit there driving through the speed trap (laughs) on repeat. I'm taking all these conference calls on my phone in my car. (laughs) So what are you doing right now? It's like, oh, I'm just driving 10 miles over the speed limit. 
Yeah, but that's the thing is that these punishments, I mean, even though they financially impact the company, it doesn't really harm them that much. I mean, there might be some people that lost out on a bonus. Even worse, there's probably some layoffs that get tied to some of these potentially if it's a long enough impact, which most of these are just a single year. So I don't even know that that's the case. I think technology-wise, like if you look at like data protection sanctions like HIPAA and stuff like that, I think what's interesting is that a lot of these like regulatory bodies and the people who actually do these investigations are like tech idiots. That's part of it. That's kind of how the deep fucking value thing kind of went because you just had like 80 like representatives that are just like, first off, I want to say the Democrats fucking suck and they can lick my balls. Now tell me why your business is great. And then the Democrats are like, uh, I'm trying to ask this question that my intern typed. And and all while that's going on, the main speaker lady's mic is still on. <laughs> yeah. Well, first, I would like to say I really appreciate that question. It is a <laughs> yeah. great question. Stall for time. Stall for and time. now I'm going to answer by telling you exactly how the business model works while not divulging anything about how the business model works. Where did you fail? I failed... By always improving. <laughs> I have failed by creating the, the best company that has ever graced this planet. It's a burden that I have had to live with every day for the past three years while making insane amounts of money. We've only gone through a few and even those it's like just like limp dick regulations combined with no sort of sense of impact. Well, we'll come back to that because okay. that was okay. the second portion of this was to say is this working and what can change if it isn't for bnp the funny thing was that the first quarter net income that they reported was up 17 and a half percent after getting this fine so it was of no impact to them really (laughs) and then next i'd like to go on to one of your favorite topics the housing crisis oh fuck yeah so name a bank and odds are they were fined yeah Name a bank, and odds are they still exist, (laughs) and they were fined billions of dollars, and it really didn't matter. This list includes Goldman Sachs, Bank of America. Name any large bank in the United States. They were part of this. You'll have to refresh my memory. Were these banks also bailed out? So it's like, (laughs) we're going to bail you out, but also slap your wrists. So like it's almost like double tax or like the doubly hurt the taxpayers because it's just like, all right, we're going to give you $10. Well, I think the timing is what matters in that. But yes, there was a initial piece that was the, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, what's going on. And then there was the, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) This all happened because you did it. You're responsible for this. And that's when these came out. Okay. Goldman Sachs was $5 billion and they got fined in 2016. Now, all the crap that they did was back in 2005 to 2007. Oh, okay. That's what led to the 2008 mortgage crisis. And so Goldman Sachs, along with all the others, what they essentially did was they were selling these mortgage-backed securities, which were all consisted of mortgages that were likely to fail. And so... They had this whole thing, all these securities, 
based on mortgages that weren't likely to actually come to fruition. On top of that, they were telling their investors that, oh no, all these mortgages meet the criteria for this. We're good. It's not going to be a problem. It was a problem. (laughs) So that covers Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Chase, all of them receiving multi-billion dollar fines with Bank of America topping that list at $16.65 billion in 2014. So what's cool about that? I just looked it up. So if Bank of America would have just put the bailout money that they received from the government in the bank and just kept it to pay for the fine, they still would have made like $3 billion. Well, the bailout money had to be paid back. I believe. Oh, did it? Typically. Maybe not. Uh, I don't remember that one as well. They got $20 billion in federal bailout, it says. But anyway, when we look at their revenue year by year, they made $11.4 billion net income in 2013. When they got their $16 billion fine in 2014, that dropped down to $5.5 billion. Hmm. And then the next year, they were up to 16, and then 17, and then 18. And then in 2018, they're at $28 billion in net income. So it really hasn't set them back. They're still making record profit, even though they caused the entire economy to collapse and set us back. I don't remember how many years, like six, 10 years or something like that, as far yeah. as the stock market went. It doesn't really seem like that fine punished them so much. And that's the same for all the other banks that fit in there as well. And then the last example that I have for a fine that didn't really seem to impact them so much is our good friends, British Petroleum. We're sorry. They happened to have this little incident a while ago where they somehow might have ruptured a well and dumped 130 million gallons of crude oil into the Gulf of Mexico, killing off countless animals and creating an environmental crisis and this is how you know you really fucked up there's a mark Wahlberg movie for it <laughs> pretty sure there's a mark Wahlberg movie of me going to get some wendy's i don't yeah. know that that really says a whole lot where's my sweet and sour sauce i ordered the spicy chicken nuggets not the regular this is bullshit the department of justice found them guilty of criminal manslaughter and environmental crimes. Now, imagine you being in the courtroom and you're sitting there and the government has found you guilty of criminal manslaughter and environmental crimes. Imagine that you are the one, just you personally are the one being found guilty of that. What do you think the result would be? I'm going to look up the minimum uh, sentencing for manslaughter. I'm going to go with 10 years is my guess. I'm not sure what the minimum is for environmental crimes. It sounds pretty bad. So they hold the record for the largest fine ever levied by the Department of Justice, which is kind of a cool title, especially considering that it didn't really matter. Okay. It depends whether it was involuntary manslaughter. Because, I mean, the way they phrase it is like gross negligence. that resulted in manslaughter so the manslaughter came from i think it was 13 employees were killed when the well ruptured so i think that's where the criminal manslaughter came from and then the environmental crimes came from you know polluting the entire gulf of mexico but they were found grossly negligent and the story 
of the disaster reveals a fatally flawed well design, faulty emergency equipment, inadequate safety precautions, and an emergency contingency plan rife with errors and miscalculations. They screwed up on basically every aspect of this. Three years is the minimum. Oh, that's pretty low. I'm not a lawyer. I think I'm reading this wrong, but it says if it's a felony in the first degree, anywhere from three to 10 years in the prison and at most $20,000 in fine. If it occurred during another felony, then you tack on one to five years and an additional maximum of $10,000 fine. That's just for a person. Yeah. What makes this even more incredible though is well ruptures spills all this oil and then after the disaster bp played down the severity of the spill and lied to congress about how much oil was leaking leading to a guilty plea of obstruction of justice you'd think that that would also result in major punishment isn't that perjury they killed some people with shitty regulations and then they lied to congress about what was happening and they managed to dump 130 million gallons of crude oil into the Gulf of Mexico, causing an environmental crisis. This all led to them getting a $20.8 billion fine. So who fined them? Department of Justice? Yes. Or are they just the examiners? Well, there were multiple people that fined them, actually. So the Department of Justice was part of it, and that's what they hold the record for the largest fine ever levied by the Department of Justice, which I have to imagine is in the CEO's office as like an award. Oh, probably. He didn't step down. No. Not even disgraced? No. And I'll come back to that in a second. But they were also fined $525 million from the Securities and Exchange Commission for hiding information from investors. Jesus. That's like (laughs) nothing in a way. I mean, we'll talk about swinging a bigger bat. And this is just United States, right? Did they get sued by like Mexico or anybody? Because I mean, like, you know, there's like multiple countries... Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, at that point, the UN could get involved because it affects everyone. Robert Dudley was the managing director for the Americas and Asia in 2009 for British Petroleum. In 2010, he was promoted to CEO and was there for 10 years. (laughs) So he got a promotion. Yeah. So this guy was in charge of the Americas when this happened. Basically, the guy in charge cost the company $20 billion. I mean, not personally cost the company $20 billion, but was in charge of all of this when this happened and kept his job. Basically, nothing happened. What's interesting to look at is the, the net income for BP over the years that this happened. You can see when they got hit with the fine and it caused them a little bit of heartburn where they went negative one year, but then the next year they were back up to positive again. So completely destroy an entire ecosystem and then you can continue to business as usual a year later. It's kind of depressing. Wait, so they got fined in 2015 and then again in 2020? Is that the way I'm looking at it? What I've come to understand was reading further into this, a lot of these fines aren't just lump sum fines. They uh. are they come with plans to pay them back to to the Department of Justice or whomever. Okay, so where is this $21 billion? Where is it now? Yeah. I don't know. And so that's another thing that came up in all of this. Reading into all of these finds, I found this interesting tidbit. 
they're not always collected. In fact, most times they aren't. This was a quote from an article called How to Punish a Corporation, Insights from Social and Behavioral Science. And it said that finally, all too often, enforcement authorities fail to collect the fines they issue. Fine collection rates have been well below 50% across different enforcement agencies, with the Department of Justice only collecting 4% of penalties imposed. So basically, you get slapped with this giant fine, and then it doesn't mean anything because they never come knocking on your door for the money. Why can't they? I don't know. Oh, my God. That's an excellent question. I've got a few ideas that once we get to the section on like how to properly punish a company, I've got some ideas that I'm willing to share with the government. Well, on a more lighthearted note, I wanted to bring up Anadarko Petroleum. One, because it sounds like Donnie Darko's sister's name. It does. Two, because this story has equally messed up. And this one actually seems to have impacted the company. So Anadarko bought this company called Kerr-McGee. Kerr-McGee had all kinds of contamination issues that they caused all over the country. What they did was they were planning to use Kerr-McGee for all these environmental liabilities while separating out their oil and gas assets so that from a balance sheet perspective, they were still making money on it, but then this other company would ended up going bankrupt because they couldn't afford to pay all their fines. They were found guilty of some creative accounting and were fined $5.15 billion for trying to avoid fines. So they got fined for not paying fines? Yes. Cool. But when we go back and look at their revenue chart, their net income has been more or less negative for (laughs) quite a few years after this all happened. So this one actually does seem to have impacted this company, but... I'm really curious how a company can go negative billions of dollars for like four years in a row and, you know, not be bankrupt. Ask Tesla. Oh, they're positive now, aren't they? It was either this year or last year was their first year. Okay. I just wanted to bring up something where it seems like it may have actually impacted the company for more than five minutes. So that was a situation where it almost might have worked. And then after looking at all these things and getting pissed off about how it, no one seems to care because they're back to business as usual the next year after the fine, I looked into reasons why it's not working and what kind of alternatives have been suggested. The depressing part was the research dates back decades. There was an article published in the year 2000 stating that the fines don't work. So we're 20 years now before all of these fines that we just talked about actually happened, where it was already established that the fines don't stop this from happening. The reasons listed for why these don't work are that the fines don't financially impact the people being fined so much. When BP gets fined, the people that end up getting hit by it are the investors. So said that the fines were impacting the shareholders more than they were actually impacting the people responsible. This was tied directly to your speeding ticket example of if I got a speeding ticket, but somebody else pays the ticket, why would I care about speeding tickets? The next was that the fines are too small, meaning that they don't impact the company enough. But again, that would be impacting the shareholders. So I guess the idea being that if you impact the shareholders enough, they're going to get pissed off and go after the people involved. This one was interesting. This point was that the fines are tax deductible. What? Fucking chomo. 
<laughs> writing tax law was sympathetic <laughs> to people getting fined to say, you know what? It could put them on hard times. I wonder if you could even develop a tax deduction strategy using fines where it's like, we have to collect a certain number of fines each year to offset our right our or revenue. Like B, BP's like, ah, oh, fuck, we made too much money this year. Somebody's like, what if we just like dump a bunch of oil into the Atlantic Ocean? That's an interesting strategy. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know enough about tax law or accounting to verify that. But this last point is the one that I think hits home the most is that the fines don't actually affect the brand. So it's not like BP dumped a ton of oil into the ocean and then people were like, well, we're just going to stop buying gas from BP or we're going to stop using BP. The company was fine next year. It didn't affect their brand at all. Sure, it's always associated in the back of our mind with them, but it doesn't substantially change how anyone interacts with the company. I mean, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, they all still exist with people still using them every day for their banking needs. It's not like anyone sitting there going, well, yeah, you really screwed over the entire economy of the United States in 2008. I'm going to stop using your products. Never happened. There's like conflations there where a lot of times if you have a really, really large company that's getting fined, they probably own so many other small companies. It's like the equivalent of like... Nestle. <laughs> imagine, Well, yeah. Imagine if like NBEV got fines levied against them and it's like you almost don't even know who is and isn't in bev because yeah. they bought so many of these other like smaller breweries to make it seem like crafty you know you basically have to stop drinking beer to make sure yeah. that you stick it to InBev. Or you can't even go straight to a, a local brewery because there's a chance that they own them yeah although i would like to point out uh i'm not a patron of bp <laughs> but it's not because of the oil crisis that they caused in the Gulf. It's because their gas stations suck. They're all really dirty and <laughs> their gas is too expensive compared to literally everyone else. No, they annoyed me when they started adding those stupid screens at the pumps that yell at you when you, oh, <laughs> when yeah. you pull up to them. I don't want your BP credit card. I don't need it. <laughs> yeah, I like how it's like trying to disguise advertisements as news. Yeah, that is... <laughs> A nice touch. And it's not just BP that does that now. Do you know that that channel is actually on YouTube TV? Cheddar? I noticed it the other day. I was scrolling through and I was like, wait, what the fuck? And when you click on it, it sure as shit is the TV stream going at the gas pump. Jeez. It's just like, what the fuck? So circling back here, I looked into why they were saying that this wasn't working. Because, I mean, clearly, well, at least in my opinion... It's obviously not deterring anyone. This is still happening all the time. You see all kinds of corporate fines coming out all the time in the news. And it doesn't substantially change anyone's plan for doing business. The question was going to be, well, what would work? What other ideas are there? And I found this interesting article from the California Criminal Law Review titled Stigma, a more efficient alternative to fines in deterring corporate misconduct. In this article, it starts off with the author saying, unlike sanctions that fine or imprison corporate offenders, a policy that formally imposes stigma upon corporate processes and products 
adequately accounts for the true social costs of inefficiency that result when a pricing system of fines accommodates corporate pay-to-pollute behavior. Pay-to-pollute describes a corporate response to fines and damage awards that treats them as a predictable business expense that can be weighed against the costs of changing product or process to make it safer. So basically saying that the fines don't work because they can basically build them into the, the pricing model that they're using. It's just a part of doing business, or as we like to say, just the cost of doing business. And that pay to pollute dynamics result when predictable fines allow corporations to consider even punitive damages as fixed costs, thereby rendering the fining system ineffective. What they came back to was this idea that it shouldn't be necessarily a financial burden alone. There needs to be a social cost to it as well, as in it forever tarnishes this brand and they have to win back customers. That would be the only effective way to do it is to actually impact that brand for doing something super shady. Can I share my idea? Yes. <laughs> okay. So keep in mind, I just thought of this. So it's it's probably got a lot of holes in it. But you find like the names of the people who are responsible and then you take all their names and you turn it into like a pedophile task force or something like that and you use their names to name the task force. <laughs> Anytime you draft an act, you name it after the company and it doesn't even have to have anything to do with what that company did to deserve that penalty. You know, if you're like doing like an act that prohibits like human trafficking or some something like that, then you just call it like the British Petroleum Act or something like that. And it really just shamed them that way. Because I was thinking too, if you find that there's one person who kind of consistently allows their company to ignore regulations that have been put in place, like certain bank CEOs, you should have an understanding with the Oxford English Dictionary and Merriam-Webster and their name gets entered into the dictionary, kind of like how Urban Dictionary does it, but it's like, oh man, I really Jamie Diamond that one up. And it's like, to Jamie Diamond, when you accidentally trip and fall down the stairs and are like anally penetrated by a dildo and it causes you to poop your pants. It's just something really graphic and gross. And then have that be just like officially entered into the lexicon of everybody that's kind of <laughs> kind of in line with what elizabeth warren said which was that justice cannot mean a prison sentence for a teenager who steals a car but nothing more than a sideways glance at a ceo who quietly engineers the theft of billions of dollars yeah her and i are on the exact same page i'd imagine that's what she had in mind when she said that yeah i'm pretty sure you can't write the types of things that I say in the New York Times. <laughs> the other conclusion that this article came to was that the, the likelihood of getting caught feels too low right now. Basically, companies feel like they can get away with it and that the likelihood that they'll be busted for it is so low that any costs that would come associated with that aren't going to matter. They said that you need to have a social cost as well as the monetary cost and it needs to feel like it's something that's likely to happen for it to really deter people from doing this 
I think that's like the second piece of that is where I see kind of like a colossal failure because what's fascinating to me is that not even just like businesses doing this, but like politicians and just kind of like wealthy entities, I guess we'll call them, or like privileged entities, is that now just like the average user on the internet can like catch people doing shit, like doing fucked up shit. Mm-hmm. like businesses and stuff. You know, it's like the people doing the failure to deliver analysis on GameStop where, you know, these are just like people sitting at their computer in Midwest United States. It's not taking like a seasoned investigator and then you'll have this whole full-blown analysis and then you hand it off to these like regulatory and like governing committees and they're so inept at actually like closing the deal the businesses can continually get caught i think they're you know based on basically pure conjecture that they're getting caught more frequently but it's because now we have the ability to scrutinize as a public and the tools to be able to do it i don't know that it's that they're being caught more frequently i think they've just become i think they become more brazen in what they're trying to get away with that makes sense and not to bludgeon this dead horse even further, but there was a couple other examples <laughs> I was going to go through, which were fairly recent. So we have Airbus, who this was a, a tactic I hadn't heard of before, but they're called deferred prosecution agreements. And this is basically like the settle out of court with the United States government to avoid an actual trial with prosecution. So you're basically just saying, we're going to come to an agreement and we'll pay something to the victims, to you, to whoever, to make this go away. And so Airbus avoided federal prosecution for corruption in multiple countries. They were accused of using intermediaries to bribe public officials from 2013 to 2015. That's pretty fucked up. Yeah, they were hit with a fine of $4 billion. Hmm. So their revenue was $70 billion at the time. Not exactly a substantial hit. General Motors, after having their whole ignition problem determined and which resulted in 124 people dying over the span of a decade, they escaped prosecution by going into one of these deferred prosecution agreements and paying a $900 million fine. Both of these companies are huge companies. They're household names. And I can assure you that there are still people out there buying General Motors cars, even though they didn't face any real prosecution for killing 124 people with a faulty product. Or, you know, Airbus going out and blatantly skirting the laws gets away with a small fine (laughs) and the public doesn't care. Like, no one's going to sit there and say, I'm not flying on an Airbus plane because they go out there and do shady shit all the time. So do these DPAs pretty much exist to essentially guarantee the payment? I don't know exactly how that works. This was the first I'd ever heard of them. It kind of sounds like a standard out-of-court settlement agreement. I don't know if it guarantees the payment or if it just dumps it into the bucket of the 4% that does get collected. So 96% that doesn't. The whole situation is pretty bad across the board. But we do have heads of all these companies. And you would think that when let's say the head of a company that dumps 130 million gallons of oil into the Gulf of Mexico, 
you would think that that would make that guy like a household name, right? Do you know Robert Dudley? Have you ever heard of that name before? <laughs> no, can't say that I do. The CEO of British Petroleum, when they dumped all of that oil into the Gulf of Mexico. What about Lloyd Blankfein? Blankfein. No, and based on the stumbled pronunciation, I'm guessing you don't either. <laughs> no, I had never heard of him. But he was the CEO of Goldman Sachs during all of that shit that went down. Then we have Brian Moynihan. I know Bobby Moynihan from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> well, this isn't him. Um, I wonder if it's his brother. I know um, Chris Farley's brother is a guy at Ford. Huh. He's like the CFO or something. Interesting. I wonder if he understands state codes. <laughs> so we had Ken Lewis, who was CEO of Bank of America from 2001 to 2010, which was interesting timing there. But then we had Brian Moynihan, who took over after that. That one kind of has a transition right around that, that housing crisis. The guy I retired was 62 years old. So it's not outside of the realm of something that was planned, but the timing of it is a little suspect. And your note here that the Wikipedia page does not even mention the housing crisis? Yes, it does not. For Ken Lewis, who was CEO during that 2005 to 2008 timeframe of Bank of America, who got hit with a, what was it, $13 billion fine, which was the largest at its time, I think is what I saw doesn't even have a note on his Wikipedia page about being a part of that, <laughs> which is re really kind of interesting. Is it just like, well, you know, it's like Ken did this and this and this up to 2008, yada, 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 some shit happened, and then he retired in 2010. No, there isn't even a yada, yada, yada. It's just a Ken Lewis was CEO of Bank of America, and then he retired in 2009. Oh, fun. Glasso Smith Klein had a CEO who was Sir Andrew Witte. Oh, nice. Yep. And there was a bullet point on his Wikipedia page about the fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he, I mean, that's public shaming in the highest sense right there. Uh, I mean, no one knows who he is. I'd never heard of him before, but hey, lying to the FDA. It's cool. Equifax had Richard Smith, who was CEO until... 2017 gm has mary barra who uh, has been ceo since 2014 and then we had daniel ackerson before who left and retired in january of 2014 because his wife had late stage cancer mm. but he's now on the board of lockheed martin and he's like 70 something years old airbus has tom enders who was ceo from 2012 to 2019 and was most definitely there when all of the bribery happened. So, yeah, these CEOs incurred gigantic fines for their companies, and not a single one of them looks to have really been impacted by it. I'm curious, too, to see if their compensation was impacted at all. That would be interesting to know. I didn't go back and try and find that for all of them. Yeah, that's too much math. Well, I imagine bonuses might have been impacted for the years where the revenue dropped. But outside of that, they came back the next year. So they probably got even more money by showing a year over year improvement that was gigantic. It might have actually been a net win for them. Because if you can go in and say, hey, we'd had a $300 million loss last year and made an $8 billion profit this year. Look at how I turned things around. Jesus. 
overall, the system seems to be pretty shitty. We're not holding anyone accountable for what they've done. Even when we do, the Department of Justice isn't even collecting on it. How is everything ever supposed to change if no one is held responsible? Necropolism Podcast was brought to you by the ramblings of two crazy people at Minimally Useful Industries. If you hate yourself and would like to learn more, while maybe having a bit of a laugh, we invite you to check out our website at minimallyuseful.com. If you'd like to check out more from the careers of our incredible music, check out heftone.com or search for Heftone Banjo Orchestra. A link to their website is in our description. Until next time, love Minimally Useful Industries.